0: Do any of you like J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Anybody? No, okay, 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 good. Uh, in The Lord of the Rings trilogy, Frodo Baggins would often put the ring on his finger in order to escape dangerous situations. In fact, uh, if you read the book or if you watch the movies, Uh, If you watch, you'll you'll notice that he does this quite frequently. And tell me, what would happen to Frodo when he puts the ring on his finger? What would happen? He would become invisible. He'd become invisible to those around him. People, when he put on the ring, he couldn't see them. Or they couldn't see him, rather. But that's not the only thing that would happen when Frodo would put the ring on his finger. See, not only would he become invisible, but do you remember this? Whenever he had the ring on, Frodo could see things that others could not. Remember this? And in particular, when he had the ring on, he could observe the unseen dark forces that were waging war against him. The ring, for all that it could do, it could also help him see that he was engaged in a battle against evil powers. Well, in many ways, that's exactly what Ephesians 6 does for us. This morning, we're going to return to that passage. And like with Frodo and the ring, this passage, it helps us see the spiritual conflict all of us are engaged in. As Paul concludes his letter to the Ephesians, we're going to observe that he pulls back the spiritual curtain, if you will, revealing that behind many of our earthly struggles, indeed behind many of our spiritual discouragements, there is a cosmic spiritual battle taking place. And thankfully, as God's people, we do not have to guess as to what our role is in this battle. For as Paul makes very clear in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, we are called as God's people to stand firm in the Lord's strength. This, I want to argue, I want to suggest, is the main governing idea of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. We as God's people, our role is to stand. It's to stand firm, not in our strength, but in the strength of the Lord. As we noted last week, the imperative... The command to stand is the chief admonition in this section. Paul repeats the command no less than four times, right? He says it in verse 11, he says it twice in verse 13, and then once again in verse 14. And as we discussed last week, you know why Paul, of all the things he could tell us to do in regards to spiritual warfare, of all the things he could give us, you know why he hones it down, he whittles it down to this primary command to stand, and to stand to the Lord's strength. We are to do that because our enemy has already been defeated by King Jesus. Amen? This is so important. Our call is not to win the battle. No, Jesus has already done that. Our call is to stand and it's to stand firm. Listen to what Paul writes about Jesus in Colossians 2. We went over this last week, but it's worth repeating so we properly get a biblical framework for what we're about to discuss here. Paul writes this And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. And then pay close attention, and he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him who is Christ please hear me, the very rulers and authorities, Paul describes and mentions in Ephesians 6.12, Jesus Christ has disarmed, put to shame, and triumphed over them. Indeed, consider what Paul has taught us thus far in the book of Ephesians. In particular, note Note what Paul has said about the heavenly places. The heavenly places, the realm in which the spiritual battle takes place. Remember what Paul wrote, or rather he even prayed in Ephesians 1. At the end of Ephesians 1, there's this glorious prayer of Paul, and he prays that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, where? In the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the age to come. So, so where is Christ seated in the heavenly places? Far far above all rule, power, a dominion, and authority. Jesus not only defeated and disarmed these rulers, but he's also seated in a position of authority over them. Now, Now listen to what Paul writes just a few verses later about us. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says, uh, and again, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And notice here, what has God in Christ done? And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in where? The heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Christian, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you see? When it comes to spiritual warfare, through our union with Christ, we are seated with our victorious Lord over the cosmic powers of this present darkness. This is really, really important that we understand. Because you know what it means? It means, as I mentioned, we are not called to perform the victory. Christ has already done that. Christ is the one who has forgiven us of our sins and our trespasses through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Christ has done all the work necessary for our salvation. Amen? And he disarmed the rulers and authorities. So, as Paul makes clear here in Ephesians 6, our role, what is our role? It's to stand firm. To stand firm against the ongoing attacks of the defeated evil one. And notice, we're to stand firm, not in our own strength, but in the Lord's. So, so here's the question I want us to consider. It's the question we began considering last week, and that is, okay, how? Right, like wh- what does it practically look like? What does it practically mean for us to stand firm in the Lord's strength? Better stated, how do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? I mean, I know how to strengthen myself. How many of you have a gym membership? How many of you have a... And use it. How many of you have some kind of... of We know how to strengthen our own bodies, but how do we strengthen ourselves in the strength of another? Now, if we've been reading Ephesians carefully we will have noticed that the mighty strength of the Lord is a major theme of this book. I mean, consider again what Paul prayed in Ephesians 1. Did he not pray that we would know what? The immeasurable, I love his words, greatness of his power towards us. Paul in Ephesians 1 prays that we would know this power then what do we learn in Ephesians 2? You know what Paul does in that po- in the chapter? He articulates the potency of that power towards us. I mean, do you remember, do you remember the contrasts that Paul presents in Ephesians 2, right? We were once dead in sin, now we're alive with Christ. We were once children of wrath, and now we're recipients of mercy, We were once doomed for destruction, now we're his workmanship. We were once following Satan, now we're seated with Christ. We were once far off, but now we've been brought near. All of this because of the mighty power of God at work in us. Amen? What power? Now, here at the conclusion of Ephesians, Paul says, stand in it. Stand in this strength, not your own, but this power that I've been praying you would know, this power that I've shown you. Now I want you to stand in it. Great, Paul. We're on board. How? Well, he tells us there are three actions believers must take if we're going to stand firm in the Lord. And the first is, we talked about this last week, we need to first have an awareness of our adversary, right? As Paul made clear in verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers and forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's, it's no small thing that one of the first things Paul says on the heels of standing firm is he wants us to know who our adversary is. But then secondly, now would argue chiefly or primarily the way that we stand in the Lord's strength, the way that we appropriate the Lord's strength into our everyday lives is by what he calls us to do next, and that is to be equipped with God's armor. So if you haven't already, please turn with me to Ephesians 6. Yes, I know that was a long introduction. Don't freak out, okay? Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. That's page 979. And follow along with me in your copy of God's word as I read. I'm going to read verses 10 through 20 so we can get the full flavor of what he's saying. So Paul writes this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How? Paul, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So if we have any doubt as to how we appropriate this strength, Paul has just told us, put out the whole armor of God so that you can withstand the schemes of the devil, verse 13. Or verse 12 rather, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The heavenly places we just looked at. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand it in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore. See where I'm getting this idea? Stand therefore, having Fasten it on the belt of truth, and have you put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth Boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen, amen. This is God's good, good word. How many of you. Tried to go shopping at the Kroger and Prospect yesterday, but could not. Anybody? Huh? Alright? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll still listen. <laughs> As evidently none of you know, uh, it was actually closed down for several hours yesterday. And you know, you know why? why? Because there was a bomb And not just the Prospect location, according to the Courier-General, several other Kroger's in the greater local area also received bomb threats. Those stores were completely cleared out, and people had to be evacuated uh, for several hours. In fact, no one could enter those stores except certain individuals. And you know why those certain individuals could enter? Because they had the proper protective equipment. Now, uh, imagine for a moment you're part of that special operations unit. Okay, you you get called to go to one of these local croppers that had the bomb threat. Yet when you arrive, you realize that you forgot to bring in your protective vest. You have every other protective piece of equipment on. You have glasses, you have boots, you have everything. But you just, you just forgot your vest. Would you even dare to enter that corridor? No. Of course not. I mean, walking into a dangerous situation, an environment like this, it's nerve-wracking in and of itself. Who would even dare to enter such a dangerous situation without wearing all... Other protective equipment. Yet sadly, when it comes to spiritual warfare, that's precisely what many Christians do. Notice how often Paul says to put on the whole armor of God. But it's not a throwaway word. He says it in verse 11 and verse 13. For us to stand in the Lord's strength, we must wear every piece of God's armor. That is, we cannot pick and choose which ones we like and which ones we want to wear. To, I mean, to wear some pieces while ignoring others would be like walking into a bomb threat without a protective vest. Second, I want you to notice that this is whose armor? God's armor. I inclined to think that Paul is referencing Old Testament imagery of our God being a warrior than he is thinking about Romans at this time. Because in Isaiah 11, 1 through 5 and Isaiah 55:19, God is described as a warrior, wearing these items. And as our great warrior, God has assigned us, please hear me, specific equipment. He wants us to wear in order to, again, stand. To stand firm. To not give an inch to the attacks of our defeated enemy. God has assigned us, here's what I want you to wear. Now, not to be kept in obvious, but there's a real important application here, isn't there? You know what that is? It's this. Friend, please hear me. Standing firm in the Lord's strength requires humility. You see, putting on God's armor requires you to submit to God's methods for spiritual warfare, not your own. Do you see that? In order to wear this battle gear, you must have a spirit of humility. You must confess the word of God. I am trusting you and your means for resisting the evil one, not my own ideas. Far too many Christians approach spiritual warfare with the wisdom and cleverness of man rather than the armor of God. You know why? Because they find God's methods too simplistic and outdated. And I would say, friends, such notions are not only foolish, but if we're reading our Bibles carefully, they're dangerous. So let us in humility look at these pieces of God's armor that we all must put on. Just as Paul called us to put off the old man, And put on the new self in Christ in chapter 4. So too now he calls us to put on the whole armor of God. So let's examine these. There are six pieces of God's armor. Uh, This morning, though, we're just going to look at the first three. And as we do, I want to invite you to see, to do some some serious self-examination and to see if any of these elements are lacking in your spiritual wardrobe. If there are any elements that you are ignoring, this leaving in the closet. So, first, notice we are to put on the belt of truth. We'll begin in verses 13 through 14. Paul writes, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. Now, for those of you that wear belts, you don't have to say that loud, but have you ever missed a belt loop before? <laughs> you know, you're worried about it, you've Have you ever done something like that? I'm guessing there's so much trouble as you have. It can at times can be embarrassing. Now, imagine walking around uh, with a belt on but not fastened. You know the just hanging loosey. And I'm not getting inappropriate here, but okay. (laughs) Easy. Okay, (laughs) 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 Okay. (laughs) our doors are like this, okay? Not not only not only does this look what? (laughs) Uh, An array of adjectives. Not only does it look, we'll say silly, but it does not achieve the function of keeping my pants up. Right? And and I appreciate that. Yes, it does keep my pants up. (laughs) What I want you to notice is this. Paul just doesn't want the truth around us. Like like an unbuckled belt. No, he calls us to fasten the belt of truth. That is, he wants it tight and secured around us. Truth as we've seen in the book of Ephesians, is a significant thing. See? The ultimate standard of truth is biblical truth revealed in scriptures. I mean, what did Paul teach us earlier in chapter 4, when he writes, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Friends, please hear me. There is objective spiritual truth in Jesus and His scriptures. Truth about God, ourselves, life, reality, and the future. And without it, we do not have a chance in the spiritual bells that come our way. And notice, as I said, we're called to fasten the belt of truth. That is, we're not just to have it on like a loose belt, but securely around us. So how do you fasten on the belt of truth? I want to suggest you do it in two ways. The way that you fasten on the belt of truth is by loving it and believing it. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, verses 9-12. He writes, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Again, we're, we're talking about spiritual warfare here and standing firm against the evil one. And notice what we learn about Satan. With all power and what are his operations, false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Why? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Is there anything more pressing for the people of God to do today than to love the truth? The truth of God's word? Oh, that we would turn away from the deception and the lies spewed by the evil one that are rife all around us. That we would not try to nuance these lies as some are in the habit of doing into thinking that these lies, these falsehoods, are good. Christians, we are to be the ones who love the truth and believe it. Indeed, we are to be the ones who speak the truth in love to one another. I mean, what did Paul write in Ephesians 4.15? He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. And then a few verses later, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one another. Christian, to, if you want to fasten the belt of truth so you can stand firm. Listen to me. Don't speak or believe half-truths. Do not be part of the demonic system that says, you know what? Has God really said? Don't be a deceiver or a liar. Let only that which is true come from your mouth. So, think about how this would apply when interacting with someone who is a biological male, yet he wants to be referred to as a woman. You know what that person is doing? They are believing a lie. Mm-hmm. As one theologian put it, a transgender person is a confused mind in a true body. Mm-hmm. And for a Christian to conceive and agree to the use of their preferred pronouns is to perpetuate a lie and to aid in the deception. That is neither truthful nor is it loving. That is not speaking the truth in love. Indeed, what did we learn in that 2 Thessalonians passage? passage? A trademark scheme of Satan is deception and speaking lies. Is it any wonder then, that the very first piece of armor we are to put on is the belt of what? Truth. For lies are the primary scheme of our adversary. Do we love the truth? Do you believe the truth? Let me put it this way. Do you love and believe the truth enough to speak it as you're commanded to? Even when it might cost you? We stand firm in the Lord's strength by fastening on the belt of truth. But then, a second, we must put on the breastplate of righteousness. Look like at what Paul writes there in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. As several commentators have correctly pointed out, when it comes to the armor of God, there's no protection for the back. You this. there's a shield, there's a helmet, and a rush plate. but there's nothing for the back. John Bunyan brilliantly makes this point in Pilgrim's progress. For those of you that are familiar with the book, we know that when Christian reached the battle of humiliation, he saw a foul fiend to meet him, whose name was Apollyon, and then Bunyan writes this, listen to his a choice word. words. Then did the Christian begin to be afraid and to cast in his mind whether to go back or to stand his ground. But he considered again that he had no armor for his back and therefore thought that to turn the back to him might give him greater advantage with ease to pierce him with his darts. Therefore, he resolved to venture. And stand his ground. Notice, Notice how brilliantly Bunyan captures the essence of what Paul is saying in Ephesians 6, right? Maybe how to stand firm the Lord's strength. And, and if I want to suggest that the very positioning of the breastplate, it reinforces this community standing firm. That is, we're not to retreat, we're to turn our backs but instead face the evil one head-on with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I, I do not understand this to refer to imputed righteousness. That is our right standing with God. I mean, what makes the gospel the greatest news is we've, we've all failed to live a perfect life. We ought to live it. We've lived for ourselves. We're a mess. We're dead in trespasses and sins. God makes us alive together with Him in Christ. And when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only are our sins forgiven, but Christ's perfect record is credited to our account. That's imputed righteousness. We receive the righteousness of Christ. But I don't think that's what Paul is referring to here, right? I never have to put on that righteousness because Christ has given to believers permanently. Rather, this seems to be referring to practical righteousness that is holy living, as Ephesians 4.24 and 5.9 So to So to put on the breastplate of righteousness is to live up those righteous qualities associated with the new life of Christ, that is darkness. I mean, it's to do what... What Paul urged us to do earlier in chapter five, is to walk in love, and stand to walk in light, to walk blood. in wisdom. Notice how brilliantly right. what, what, how did he begin chapter right. what Paul is saying. in just 6, right? Neither right? how to, he he to the stand bright, firm in the Lord's strength, right strength and, and strive holiness. This. But the very positioning of the way of plate, I believe it's appropriate to add it reinforces this command to stand firm. That is not to, to retreat our backs. Do you keep careful. But instead it, face the evil head on with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Are there any sinful behaviors? Now I, <sighs> behavior I do not understand this to refer to imputed righteousness. That, you're that is our, our right standing with God. I mean, when it makes the gospel in the, dark. the greatest news is we, we all failed to yourself. live a perfect life we ought to live. We no lived for ourselves. we We're a mess. we dead. trespasses and sins. We'll God needs us to lie together with Him in Christ. And when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I not only are our sins forgiven, but Christ's, Christ's perfect record is credit to our account. That's God imputed righteousness. Power we receive the righteousness of Christ. But I don't think that's what Paul is referring to here. Right? I never have to put on that righteousness because Christ has given it to believers permanently. Rather, this seems to be referring to practical righteousness that is holy living, as Ephesians 4.24 and 5.9 describe described. So to, so to put on the breastplate of righteousness uh, is to live out those righteous qualities associated with their new life in Christ, metal baseball and it's to do what what Paul I mean, encouraged us to do I, I earlier in chapter five. That's time to time to walk in, enough, in love, to, switch, to walk in light, to walk in wisdom. Right? Well, how did he begin chapter five? Oh, right? He basically said, "Don't be yourself. Imitate God." Right? I, to I, to put on a to rest, plate the breastplate of righteousness you know, sliding to try to take out the shortstop for a second, right? Okay. If I'm being honest, right? But I, ha- I have such, location, I such a greater and ask, more sure footing on the baseball day. diamond. How Well, in battle, a soldier must have good shoes so he can fight without conduct. The shoes are what give him a solid foundation. So when Paul are speaks of the gospel of peace here, he means actions, that the gospel itself is the only that source of peace. That you're allowed because of Jesus Christ. We now have peace grow in the dark. with God. Friend, and we also have the yourself. peace of God. There's for no forced. way you're going to stand in the strength and of the And I want to suggest that it's this cultivation hidden sin that gives us a secure foundation so to, against to the attack deficit, of the evil one. To bring it into the light of judgment, and then word by word God's the power shoes. and His grace, we walk in righteousness. Make it your aim. That's just what they do. Hand. Notice how Paul describes them, right? And then third, notice they I'm are right right right, two, to make us ready shoes to share the gospel. gospel peace. So it it's one so of the primary ways that we strengthen ourselves in the Lord is by sharing Christ's readiness. The good news the of how, in peace. Christ, we who were once enemies of God, uh, have any can now be at peace with Him as beloved children. Metal baseball cleats. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And just by mm-hmm. way of application, I will never help? forget the time when I was old enough, ready to share the gospel, to switch from wearing plastic
1: when baseball was the last time I could finally you to finally wearing invited
0: someone to a difference to me. to put their faith in Jesus. Right, digging in the batter's box. Remember, to try to take out take the up? shortstop and run like a second. Right. But being honest, right? But I, I had, had, had such had guy put such on, uh, greater and more he really sure footing on, and, and on the baseball guy. He's really into truth. Well, in battle, a soldier must have good no, shoes each so of he can fight without slipping. Armor the shoes are what give him a solid I, I just foundation. Want to gently
1: press in here so when faith. Paul
0: speaks of the gospel of peace here, he means have testimony being with the, the gospel truth. itself is the only source of true peace. Sharing the gospel because of Jesus be Christ, we now have activity. peace with God, right? so, and we also have the peace of God. My wife and I will go out to meal. Can. And I want to suggest that it's this piece that is so expensive that gives us a secure right? foundation for, for certain highlights against the attacks right? of evil. That's not how we ought to think about it, Angel. But that's not all. Notice also what we learn about these shoes. Right? Had a had a great meal at that steakhouse two that these years shoes ago. Were meant for walking. It was, it was great. So that's just what they do. Notice how they're to make us ready to, to
1: ready have the, the question,
0: drawing them up. What do you think about Jesus? Faith, one of the primary way as rich is trying to do over in the Republic, That we strengthen right? ourselves in the Lord is by as sharing the in the Christ, and then pointing them. Say, have you considered the good news of in Christ we who once enemies of God can now be at peace with Him as beloved we children? What would need to change in your life? In this way of application, can I ask? Are your feet ready you to share stated, the gospel? What fears or concerns When was the last time you, you invited someone to consider over the beliefs of Christ and to put their faith for in you Jesus? to regularly and faithfully share Christ with others?
1: Remember, we're to take up the
0: what whole thing. What fears do you need to trust God. over to him? Pause and say, you know what, let's see, have one guy to put on uh, the breastplate because he, he really likes holiness. And, and that guy will have him put on the belt because he's really into the truth. In now, the each of us must take up the whole number of God. Entitled, and I, and I, I just, just want to gently press up. in your Faith. It's three and volumes. And you've richest testimony being encouraged to you. chapters and 1,400 Sharing occasions. the gospel should not it's be a special occasion all activity. Exposition of these 11 verses, right, so, Ephesians 6 20. You know, my wife and I, we will go out to an In the book, it makes this really, I think, an you know, inspiring, fiery, <laughs> challenging observation. And it is the so money, expensive. All <laughs> right. For for certain high heaven that's not how we ought to we think, think about angels, Right? Had a, had a great meal yeah. at that steakhouse two years pieces ago. Pieces of armor to be worn. It was great. It's not how it ought to be with angels. Evangelism in pointing people: Hey, have you considered the claims of Christ? Having questions, drawing them up. What do you think about Jesus? May we who belong as Rich is trying to do over in the Czech Republic, right? You know, ask these people what they think about that, and then pointing them: said Have you considered who Jesus is and his claims? Let me ask you this: What would need to change in your life to make this happen? Better stated, what fears or concerns would you need to entrust over to the Lord for you to regularly and faithfully share Christ with others? What fears do you need to entrust over to Him? So that you can speak forth the mystery of Christ, which Paul asks prayer for. In 1655, the Puritan minister, William Bernal, published a book entitled, The Christian in Complete Armor. It's three volumes, 261 chapters, and 1,472 pages, Get this, and it's all just an exposition of these 11 verses, Ephesians 6 and 12. In the book, Ganahl makes this really, I think, inspiring yet challenging observation, and with this I close. Ganahl writes this. He says, In heaven, we shall not appear in armor but in robes of gold. But here, the pieces of armor are to be worn the night and day. We must walk, work, and sleep in them, or else, We are not true soldiers of Christ. May we who belong to the King of kings, Jesus Christ, stand firm in the Lord's strength. Let's pray.